RadioInfluence.com. It is officially week one of the college football season, and this is episode two of Rush the Field, a college football podcast for you, the diehard college football fan. I'm Scott Seidenberg, alongside veteran coach and scout Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. Chris, week zero games were fun, but now the real fun begins with the first Saturday of the college football season approaching. I can't wait. I mean, what a five-day extravaganza it's going to be. You know, get our uh, whistles wet on Thursday and Friday and just a load of games on Saturday that are going to be fun. And then we get the bonus Sunday and Monday games. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun and some big matchups, Scott, that really are going to set the early tone for the season for some teams. It's a lot of football left after this weekend. But getting off to a good start, and I worry about some of the teams that don't get off to a good start as to what it might mean for their goals of the year. And you know what I love about these early season matchups that have basically become like bowl games is that it means so much for these teams because a win or a loss, I know it sounds crazy because it's only the first game of the season, but it could make or break your season. Some of these teams that are playing in these games, Chris, they can't afford to lose here in week one. Well, no, there's no, it's, it's exactly right. And that's what separates college football from any other sport. Um, the, the closest thing would be the NFL with only 16 games, but that's not even the same. It's that a, a game on the first week has a playoff feel to it, has a bowl feel to it. In fact, it has greater impact than a bowl game that's a non-playoff bowl game because if you think about it, um, if you win and get off to a good start, it, it does set the tone. And a loss could be real damaging to the point of, well, you better not suffer another one. We've not seen yet a two-team, two-loss team make it into the playoffs. We will at some point. But I guess my point is, is yes, every week is huge because uh, you're going to have a sprinkling of at least a few games that are going to have a real national impact or conference impact um, that that's going to really help to define the season and kind of separate who's going to have uh, a great year potentially to a good year to a disappointing year. Well, we'll get into these games coming up in just a few minutes, but I want to start off with the Urban Meyer situation at Ohio State because this is the first time that we're here talking about it now on this podcast. Suspended for three games, Chris, and I think you and I, I well, I shouldn't speak for you, but for me, I think the only reason why Urban Meyer has a job right now is because of the numbers 73 and 8. That's his record as the head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes. If this were any other football coach in the country, not named Nick Saban or Urban Meyer, whoever, they would be out of a job. But because of his standing at Ohio State, that's the only reason why he got a three-game suspension instead of being fired. Yeah, I think anyone would be naive or foolish to think otherwise. Um, the reality is, and I, you get a lot of people with a lot of opinions, I've went ahead and read thoroughly the investigation, which is, again, done by Ohio State people. Uh, many of them uh, were ties to the university, and it was pretty clear that they had more information on Urban, and I mentioned this when people ask me, well, what's it going to happen? I said, I don't know what they're going to have. I don't know what they're going to find, and I don't know how much of that's going to be uncovered. Pretty clear. Uh, we find out a lot of things that were very intriguing. The minute this came out, what's the first thing Urban Meyer did? Get somebody to help him delete his text messages. Yep. And Now, what I have learned, 
And I'm not an expert on this, so I've contacted some people that are. I am told that even if you delete text, there are experts out there that could find those text messages. They're somewhere in the outer space or clouds or whatever they call that stuff. And you know me, Scott. I am the least technical person around. But, but I've been told that that can be done. Ohio State doesn't want to go down that path. I think it came down to this. President Drake, I think if it was his call and only his call and there wasn't a $38, $40 million buyout, I think Urban Meyer would have been fired. I think that the fact that they knew that while they had some things on him, what was the level uh, of of provability in court? Um, That was a concern. They didn't want to get into a lawsuit. They didn't want to get into the money and the cost. And you mentioned that great record, who he is. This is kind of how they did it, which is why it took so long, we now know, to get this agreed because Urban Meyer did not want a suspension at all. And I think that the president wanted him suspended for more. Um, There was a lot of ideas that he should be floated out, uh, should be suspended for the entire year. That's what the the president wanted. So obviously it came down to to the point of they called Shelly Meyer. That was to people that on urban side said that we need to get Shelly in here to convince him to, to take this deal. And then they called Gene Smith in and his wife to get him to, to urban to accept the deal. And you could tell by the press conference that uh, urban was there. Like somebody beat him with a bat to get there because he didn't want to be there, uh, you know, any more than, than, than you'd want to be stuck out in the rain on a cold day. I mean, he just was clearly unhappy. And I think that, uh, this this became a very contentious situation. I do not think Urban Meyer is going to be at Ohio State for the long term. I do know with 100% certainty that there's no way this president, President Drake and Urban Meyer are going to coexist in the short term. This is this has become a negative situation. It will continue to, to be that way. I don't think it's going to affect this football team, but I think it could affect Urban Meyer. We saw a lot of issues start to catch up with Urban in Gainesville, and it led to him having some issues, some emotional issues that led to him taking a step uh, away a couple step years. away yep. and the stress issues and all that. You know, the whole thing about the stress of preparing week to week, that wasn't the whole issue. That was in 128 scholarship athletes that he recruited at Florida, 45 of them were arrested. 45 arrested. Not in, not others that got into trouble. That that's not included in that group. Mm-hmm. So you you're talking about a lot of issues there that um, you know that really came to the surface. And I think this is going to bubble over. And I I don't know that he's going to be there. I don't know that he's going to be there next year at this time when we're talking about the Ohio State 2019 team. Uh, we got time for that. But I, I think that long range, this is going to have a very negative effect towards uh, Urban Meyer's. Um, length of stay at Ohio State because I think there there's still some issues that are lingering. I thought the press conference, Chris, was incredibly tone deaf. Uh, the fact that he apologized for being in that situation, for him being in that situation, no apology to Courtney Smith, I thought was so pathetic. And then to release a statement on Friday, typical news dump Friday, by the way, at 5 right. o'clock, releasing this statement that was written on his iPhone, just 
unbelievably tone deaf from the part of Urban Meyer. Just another smack in the face to Courtney Smith and all victims, frankly, of domestic abuse. Well, and let's just call it what it is. He didn't release that statement. It was basically um, the whole the president and the university in the powers that be saying we're getting killed. We're getting We've killed because of that something. dumb press conference. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, they wanted him to have a press conference and make an announcement. But then, you know, he didn't want to do it. And then they realized, you know, putting him out in front of somebody you know, with the way he handles things poorly, we could just be digging ourselves a different hole. So they crafted a, a release uh, with his name on it, and, and that, that way they can hide behind the release, mm-hmm. which is, again, very, very shallow. The way you, you should have done it is on the Wednesday, and, and if you want to go back on the Friday or whatever and, and have another press conference and stand up there like a man, that's the way it should have been done. But no, it was a, a, the easy way out. Uh, put a, st- a statement put out. So now, when he does come back, you know, and he's addressed it, or uh, you know, people are, people ask him about it. I addressed that. We, we put that out on release. That's we're moving on. That's that's going to be the way he approaches it. So yes, it was a news dump, but let's just call it what it all. It was a cowardly way to go about yes. it, and it was the university saying. Uh, you know, you're not going to do it. We're going to do it for you. We're going to issue a release, and it's going to come out of your name. And that's how that played out, I can tell you. Let me ask you, do you think that this story is going to go away, or are we going to find out more information about Urban Meyer's involvement, about other things that Zach Smith did while he was employed at The Ohio State University? There's a report that came out on Tuesday that said that Possibly Tom Herman was a coach that was with Zach Smith during these strip club trips. I don't know how accurate that is, but is this story going to go away soon? Well, here's the thing. In terms of like what you and I do and everything, I think everyone is going to move towards the games in the exciting weekend of football. However, no, I don't think the story is going to go away because there are a number of media people that, that are designed to do investigative reports and not really follow the game as much. They're going to be digging into this. And as I said when this all started, and this is part of what I'm saying about Urban Meyer and the long-range part of it, there's going to be a lot of digging. And, and, and Urban has got a whole lot of things in that closet that he doesn't want uh, to come out. And, and I think over time, investigative reporters – will come out with more and more information, and let's call it. He's not handled this well. I think, and this is the arrogance that is just in full display here, had he come out and, and maybe even in, in a very emotional way apologized, I think it would have gone over. The fact that he's been callous and handled everything so poorly – I think it just takes these investigative reporters and they're going to dig in their heels and they're going to find out more and more information about this. And they're going to uncover a lot of things that that likely will come out, whether it will come to light or not. I don't know, but I do think there'll be some things that will be attached to it. Um, Listen, I go back again to the Florida circumstances. There were a lot of things that took place. There was a rumor that Aaron Hernandez was involved in a murder in Gainesville. Yes. There was a murder that took place, mm-hmm. and it was around. It couldn't pin it. There was a lot of things that were covered up there. And so I think that they've got people in Florida. I think there are people around the country that are going to dig and dig and dig, maybe for the reason that they don't like Urban Meyer, maybe whatever. But I think this could 
this could peel back the onion to the point where it's very, very bitter at the core. So let's talk about them now going into the first game of the season. Forget about all three games while Urban Meyer is serving his suspension. Let's just talk about week one this Saturday hosting Oregon State, a team that they are, I don't want to be mean to Oregon State, but they are they have superior talent, Ohio State. They are they are just vastly better than the Oregon State Beavers. I'm not saying anything out of school here. Ohio State's a better football team than Oregon State. But without Urban Meyer, there's still quality coaches on those sidelines, Chris. How will Ohio State fare in their season opener? I think they're going to fare well. You just kind of hit on it. And with all due respect to Oregon State, it's not a very good team. They they weren't very good on offense last year. Um Brian Lindgren's got got a, a big time chore to kind of get this team, um, you know, in the right direction on offense. And they're bringing that eight guys with more experience. Uh, the defense is struggling. I, I think that they're just going to be sorely lacking in speed. I expect this game to be a blowout. I think it's a 37 point game uh, margin, uh, and it's probably going to be along the lines of a 30 point win. I think that this. Listen, players here, that's it. they don't care. I mean, they are go out and they're going to be focused and they're, as you mentioned, so superior mm-hmm. that I, I think they'll win. They'll win going away. And I think if they play really in a sharp fashion, they'll win big. If they don't play really sharp, then they'll win less big. Why do but I have a the, feeling, Chris? Yeah. Why do I have a feeling that the players are going to want to make a statement? Well, I probably will because, I mean, I think they're tired of hearing all that. I'm sure they're getting asked a lot of this and that, and they can't make any comment on it. They don't really know anything, mm-hmm. but they're going to get asked, are you distracted? Is this going to factor? And, and, you know, players are like, look, you know, they, they, they just, they just want to go out and make a statement. And I think that don't underestimate, and this is kind of how football people do it, They'll kind of turn this against us against the world mm-hmm. because they're going to be people that are going to hate on Ohio State this year. Um, and I think this young the players are going to say, we're going to use this as motivation. I, I, I'll say it now. I'll take a step further. I'd be surprised if they're derailed this year. I, it's a tough conference. They have to go to Penn State later in the year. But I expect them to have a great year. I think their chances of making the playoffs – are great. I think they have the best chance of the schools in the Big Ten. In terms of talent, uh, in terms of playmaking ability, I think they'll get more plays made from the quarterback position than before. And I think they'll be able to run the football well. They are outstanding in the running game. And I think they're loaded on defense. They've got the best edge rusher in the country. This No, this is a loaded team. I mean, and there are very few teams that could match up with them. They are in the Alabama Clemson class in mm. terms of personnel. So I don't see them being derailed, certainly not against an Oregon State team that's just going to be nothing more than a speed bump. What are we going to see in terms of play calling from Ryan Day? Oh, I think here's here's how they're going to do it. Ryan is going to run the offense and handle that. Greg Schiano is, is going to oversee some things. Actually, it's ironic how they've done this because Ryan has been named the interim coach, the head coach, mainly because he had no ties to the issues. But in terms of the head coaching duties, it's more. It's going to be more Greg Schiano. It's what what you figured as well because the guy's well, got so much experience. Well, no, because he's the only one that doesn't coach a position. Mm-hmm. He's a walk around coordinator. See, Ryan has to coach the quarterbacks. Yes. And so Greg can go around. The way that Ryan did it was that Greg will, in addition to going around walking around the defense, he'll go around and walk around 
and and kind of oversee and make notes and and pass the, and communicate with Ryan because again they don't want to disrupt the communication of hey Ryan being the guy that's that's working with the quarterbacks and dealing with that so Greg is the only guy that 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 can be an on the field coach that doesn't have a position group that he has to account for and so he can be the walk around guy so they're they're going to handle it that way and 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 certainly his head coaching experiences is a big factor so you're right there i'm not dismissing it but on top of that i think that that's why and then of course kevin wilson is going to be the the primarily guy with the play caller so i think they've got to get it will not affect them in terms i think it'll be smooth and then obviously um urban is going to be around uh for for practices after week one and that's a bigger issue and, and quite frankly, having a guy, if, if you could take the games, you know, the game away and practice that that's a better situation for them than if you said you can be there at the game, but you can't be there at practice. I mean, to be honest with you, to be there at the game, if you hadn't been there at practice, you've got minimal uh, uh, effect. But mm-hmm. being at practice is big. Now, the only thing they'll have to adjust to and, and they will is in great. This is where Greg will call in. Um, all right, what do, do we go for it here? Um, in this situation, um, uh, you know, clock management issues. That's something you got to work with as a staff that, that Urban would oversee. But like I said, he's going to be back and going to be able to communicate all that and put all that in place. Uh, I think, to be honest with you, it, it'll when he does get back full-time, it'll be more streamlined and organized than it's ever been before. It's yeah. not going to have an effect on this team I don't think uh, at all on no. the field. And, and let's face it, the biggest issue that they're going to have this Saturday against Oregon State is probably staying focused, and that's where Greg Schiano can light a fire, fire under their you-know-what. So <laughs> that's their biggest issue because <laughs> they'll be winning by so many points it might be easy for the players to tune out. But then again, they could want to make a statement. Let's talk about some of the other Week 1 games, Chris. And, and you know what? Before we do that, why don't we go back to Week 0, which is still Week 1, but... We call it week zero because it's the week before the first Saturday in college football. There were two intriguing games out of the four games that we saw already played last week. Hawaii and Colorado State, I think, caught a lot of people by surprise. People felt that Colorado State was going to roll over this Hawaii team. But I actually like what I saw from Hawaii. I thought that they, and and tell me if this is fair, I thought they looked like the more prepared team going into that game. Is that a fair assessment based on what you saw? It absolutely was, and the first thing I thought of, and here we're talking about the distractions with Urban Meyer and Ohio State. Here's a case where I think clearly that the problems they had at Colorado State with Mike Bobo being um, his health and him missing practice, I, I thought Colorado State looked uh, off the mark. They look, they looked sluggish. They looked a step slow. They, they looked like they weren't ready. And I just, again, I'm going to take nothing away from Hawaii, but, but I look at Colorado State and wonder, they just didn't seem ready and didn't were distracted. And, yeah, you got a coach sick and it, a little bit different. You don't have as many people on your staff at Colorado State that you do at an Ohio State. Uh, and, and quite frankly, you don't have the experience uh, of, of guys that are at, at that level. Um, I, I think that they were just look like they – if you look at the entire first half, they were a step slow. They got back in the game. I yes, mean, they, they started. Yeah. They started to find their their legs in the second uh, half, mm-hmm. and and I think that was a big part of it. I was impressed. The young quarterback at Hawaii is a good one. 
I can't wait to see. Um, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I, I'm excited about uh, Hawaii Navy this week and see if Navy can keep a ball away from that offense. And then I would expect – watch watch what I tell you if Colorado State doesn't rebound and at least play Colorado very well. This is a huge game for them. Looks like Mike Mike Bobo that is 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 back and in his normal routine. So yeah, I was I was impressed by Hawaii, no doubt about it. And I tell you, uh, I I was impressed by Wyoming's defense. Now New Mexico State's bad, I get it, but this is a pretty good defense, and I cannot wait to see what the defense can possibly do this week um, against Washington State. And uh, that that'll tell me how good that might be the team that's to to look out for. In that league. Everybody's talking about Boise, but Wyoming's defense is uh, is for real. Yeah, you talk about Wyoming's defense. I was too busy focusing on Nico Evans running all over the <laughs> field. I mean, this kid's got some ability. Yeah, he does. He really can scoot. And, you know, um, you know, to me, you find a number of these guys that just have a lot of ability that maybe doesn't meet the, the size requirement or the overall speed requirement or yep. get lost in the crack. They've got some guys they can play. He's one of them. You know, when, I, when I'm thinking about guys like that, and maybe he's not in the mold of this player, but I'm talking about the guys that don't play for the big powerhouse programs but have the ability, like a Donnell Pumphrey. For the, they played for mm-hmm. San Diego State. That's kind of like the mold that I'm looking at for these uh, unsung players. Yeah, you know the guys that are you know 200, you know five 210 pounds and maybe five eight and a half five nine. Um, those those guys that can again maybe doesn't fit the profile and come in it from a, maybe some good programs that don't play uh, a lot in high school as a, you know maybe they're backups behind some better players or they come from smaller schools that they get overlooked in recruiting. And they just get developed, and uh, that's that's what school, that's what conference, conferences like the Mountain West and the American Athletic Conference mm-hmm. USA, and and all those leagues just live off of the guys that you got to develop. And he's certainly a good one. Well, speaking of the American, they will be on display Thursday night. The defending national champion, Central mm-hmm. Florida. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, they might raise a banner their first home game. They Chris, might. But... They might. I'm trying to, trying to figure out when the White House visit's going to be. <laughs> well, Central Florida comes into the year as the 21st ranked team in the preseason AP poll. They will take on UConn in the first game here on Thursday. Are we expecting another top-tier season from Central Florida? I think it's going to be a good year. I think it's going to be a challenge, though. I think here's where all that talking kind of puts a puts a bullseye on your chest. Oh, it may be great. And listen, I guess what's the saying? There's no such thing as bad publicity. Some people live by that. Hey, uh, <laughs> I don't care what you say about me. Just get my name right. That that whole theory, mm-hmm. that's what they've done all year. This is a good team. I th- still think – I think Memphis is good. I think Navy's good in the West. Yep. I think Temple's a good team in the East. I think South Florida is really good, but Central Florida is the team to beat. But here's what I'm saying: is all that attention you draw to yourself, um, while that might be uh, comical to other programs in the AAC in the off season, now once it gets into the season, you know you're, you're going to get guys uh, that 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 want to basically knock them off the pedestal. It's going to be tough this year. They've got an outstanding quarterback in McKenzie Milton. Um, Snelson's a really good receiver. Um, Jordan Johnson leads up good offensive line. I like the defensive line led by Tristan Hill. And they've got good players on all levels of their defense. I think they're the most talented team in the AAC. But, again, new coach, new direction. Um, I I think that they'll do a, a, a good job 
have a good season. Um, and I think Josh Heupel, you know, is going to have a challenge, though, because now you want to be a big boy, you want to play. It, it's going to be a challenge to go on the road. And they've got Pitt, they've got SMU, they got to go to Memphis. Um, you got to go to North Carolina. Got to go to North Carolina. Now, North Carolina's got, you know, uh, we'll see how many of those 13 guys get back yeah. from selling the Michael Jordan shoes. <laughs> um, you know, but, you know, yeah, I think it's going to be challenging, and I don't think they'll go unbeaten. And even if they do, and God bless them, I thought they had a good year last year. You know, I, I just got to remind them that, you know, winning one bowl game against a good team and some pretty good teams on a on a very mediocre schedule, um, it, it doesn't re- <laughs> doesn't require you to, to vote those guys um, as a national uh, championship team, even though you're unbeaten. Yeah, not not quite, not not in our eyes, Chris. Not certainly not in our eyes. The game of the night, though, on Thursday night, that's going to be in West Lafayette, Purdue and Northwestern, in a battle of two teams that actually could pose threats to Wisconsin in the west side of the Big Ten. Yeah, I, you know, here's the thing about it. I'm not quite sure that Purdue has the personnel to hang in the West race, but Jeff Brom has done a good job, and they certainly exceeded the expectations last year. And, and I like the contrasts and styles. They're going to want to get some tempo. Um, they're going to move the football through the air. And Wisconsin is the grinded-out, really good team, uh, physical at the line of scrimmage. Uh, this is going to be an interesting kind of the old, you know, typical what we consider Big Ten teams. But if you think of the West, it, it, it's Wisconsin and everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, Iowa has got a good team. Nebraska's in a bit of a, you know, changeover, and, and I think will be improved under Scott Frost. I think Purdue is, you know, is certainly could be in the mix if they win this. But Northwestern is the team that intrigues me. If Northwestern goes and, and wins this game, this gives them a little notch in an early Big Ten uh, chance. And listen, I don't think anybody's going to beat Wisconsin, but staying in the West race is what I'm talking about. And I think the winner is at least off to a good start. The loser is going to face an uphill battle to at least be in that conversation with Iowa and, and whoever else emerges behind Wisconsin. You know, uh, speaking of that division, tell us about Adrian Martinez, the quarterback that's going to be the starter for Scott Frost at Nebraska. Scott loves him. Uh, I've seen a little bit. He's an exciting guy. Uh, listen, I you know, it's funny. It is trends go along. When you see two freshman quarterbacks dueling it out in the national championship, everybody says, <laughs> yes, he says, hey, we can do that. You know, you know, you, you said, hey, you know what? Here, here's a young guy. We'll, we'll play him. Adrian has got some talent. I'm very curious to see what Scott does with this team. There, there's expectations through the roof. I don't know if Nebraska fans, I, I don't know what their expectations are. I, I think there's some of them. Scott, that that think their expectations were, hey, we were as good a program as there was in college football in the 90s. That's where we should be. I kind of think that their expectation should be to be what Wisconsin is. You know, they, they should at Nebraska be what Wisconsin is doing and how we think of Wisconsin now as a really good team that develops players well, that can be on the fringe, be in the top 10, be on the fringe of the playoffs. That's what Wisconsin is. There's no reason why Nebraska can't be right there neck and neck with Wisconsin year in and year out. And that, to me, ought to be the, the first step goal, and we see if they can recruit better. I think that Martinez is an exciting playmaker. I love Stanley Morgan Jr. Uh, at receiver. 
But I still think this is going to be some growing pains. And then what are the expectations? They're in love with Scott Frost. Mm-hmm. But what's Scott Frost going to do? Scott Frost is from the Chip Kelly up-tempo. Yes. And let's, let's you know be a little bit more finesse and speed. Well, oh, Nebraska's power. And so, you know, to me, when you think of – when Nebraska fans think of Scott Frost, they oh, we're going back to the old days. Well, what you're going back to is Scott is kind of more new age. So is Scott going to be more of the new age and get people excited? Is this going to be kind of a – you know, a, a Nebraska tied version of Rich Rodriguez going to Michigan and trying to change the dynamics and people saying, Oh God, what do we do? Uh, or they certainly going to be more patient with Scott being one of their own, or, or is, is he going to maybe do some things and modify and try to be more physical? I, I'm very curious to see not only what he does this year, but the type of players he's able to recruit. Cause it's a different world today. When Nebraska built their program in the big eight, Scott, they played, like most teams did, a week schedule. They mm-hmm. played four home games. They played one team all year, and that was Oklahoma. And Oklahoma played them, well, Oklahoma played them in Texas. And, and so it was easy to go 10-1 and one every year. In fact, that was kind of a mediocre year back then. It's tougher now. The gauntlet's bigger. It's tougher. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Scott uh, puts a stamp on this new Nebraska. There's no relation from Adrian Martinez to the former Nebraska quarterback, Taylor Martinez, right? Mm, no, there okay. is not. Okay, no. just a coincidence. I got it. Okay. Uh, I mean, a lot of people seem to be asking that question because obviously Taylor Martinez played quarterback at Nebraska, and now their new quarterback is yeah, Adrian I don't, Martinez. Yeah, I don't believe that. I say that. I, I, I'm, let me I, back. I don't think I, so I, I either. Not think so. I, I think I would have. I think we would have heard that if, if it were. I, I, I am not aware that they're related if they are. Yeah, I, don't, I don't I have I don't no indications so. that they are in, in, a, in the conversations that I've had uh, with him and studying him. That never came yeah. up. So if it has, it was something that people decided not to discuss. Yeah, I don't, I, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't think it is. Uh, well, we talked a lot about Wisconsin. They open up the season at home on Friday night against Western Kentucky. And I look at this game like I look at the Ohio State game, Chris. Wisconsin's just a better team. Although I have read some interesting things uh, on LandryFootball.com in the film room breakdown of this game about Western Kentucky and their passing offense. Now, what kind of threats do they pose to Wisconsin? Yeah, it's a different style. I mean, Drew Eccles, this group, they can throw the football. So it's a little bit different in terms of it's a different style. I mean, Wisconsin's better, but they're different. They're better in that they're going to try to compress this game. They're going to wear down Western Kentucky's defense, play ball control, and that'll be it. But I do think that Western Kentucky is capable of making some big plays. And, you know, if Wisconsin is, Wisconsin is sloppy with the ball, turn the football over, what have you, then, you know, that that's where it could get a little bit, you know, hairy. But I, I think that Wisconsin's – there's nobody that plays to their identity better than Wisconsin. So yeah. they'll be able to control the football and ultimately win the game, even if it's not a pure game. Also on Friday, Stanford and San Diego oh, State. I mean, this this is going to be the game one of Bryce Love's Heisman campaign. And whenever you have a Heisman campaign, you can't have a bad game. And not only can you not have a bad game, Chris, but you can't have a bad game when the eyes of the nation could be on you. Now, Stanford plays a lot of games late at night. On the Obviously, they're on the West Coast, so there's a lot of East Coast bias, and, and people don't stay up to watch those Pac-12 after dark games. But <laughs> this is a Friday night game, Chris. It's not the late night Saturday. It's a Friday night game, and people will be watching to see what Bryce Love does in his opener against San Diego State. 
Yeah, particularly since everybody's just clamoring for any football, you yep. know, and just in you're right. Um, and let me say this. Unlike the other games that we've talked about, and a couple of them, um, though the Western Kentucky's Oregon State's really not capable of of beating those teams, even if a Wisconsin or Ohio State plays poorly. San Diego State is capable of beating Stanford if Stanford doesn't play well. Stanford's the better team. They play their best game, they win. But I'm telling you, this San Diego State team is good. Rocky Long is an outstanding coach, very underrated. They get good players. Really good players there. Um, I think this team's very, very good, and I think they're going to contend in the west of the the Mountain West. And you know, we talked about Wyoming and Boise there in the mountain. That's that's the strength. But they will be able to run the football. Yes, I know they've lost all those back. Juwan Washington's a good back. He's another one of those guys, a little smaller guy. But they've got a good offensive line. They run the football well. Uh, they play good defense. Um, you know, they've got two offensive linemen that I think can be pro prospects down the line. Uh, I, I think this is a dangerous game for Stanford because it's the first game, and if they play sloppy, uh, San Diego State's capable of taking this game into the fourth quarter, and it'd be a game. Stanford's on the mark, and they're sharp. They win. Um, you know, but I've seen Stanford struggle in some early games in the past. This better not be one of them because if they do – this could be an up. I'd call this upset alert. I'm not calling for the upset. Though. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's reasonable. I mean, the point spread's only like two touchdowns in that game, maybe even mm-hmm. less. So I think Vegas expects it to be closer than uh, what people would would think when they just see the names of the teams without knowing much about both the teams. Moving on on Saturday, I think an interesting opener is Texas against Maryland. Oh, now, yeah. Maryland's got all of the stuff going on with DJ Durkin and everything that they've been through this preseason. But Texas, and they could have their own issues with Tom Herman in, in the news uh, here this week, but Texas, to me, is a team that people are just waiting on, Chris. They're waiting for the Longhorns to be back as a national powerhouse. I'm not saying this could be the year that they do that, but this could be the year that they knock on the door in the Big 12. Well, here's the thing. When you go into your first year as a coach, it's about setting the standard for your program. How are you going to practice? How are you going to meet? How are you going to play? And it's about establishing that. The second year, you really need to start to get guys to play and you start to put schemes in a little bit more. But let me just say this. One of these games, this is one of these games in my view. Texas goes in and they just get beat by Maryland last year. If if that doesn't awaken this team this year and to the point where they go out and want to punch those guys in the mouth, as you mentioned with their distractions and whatnot, I mean, listen, that that's an investigation that looks like it's a long way from getting done. So I, I expect Matt Canada to be the head coach this year, all year long, because I don't think DJ Durkin's coming back. A lot of distractions. Matt's going to want to put his best foot forward. And this is a pretty good Maryland team. This Texas team has to stand up and be a man and say, we're back, not back all the way. I don't think they can be make a real big statement like, hey, make a run at things, but they got to beat Maryland. You got to beat Maryland. Maybe, maybe, maybe USC, TCU are questionable and going to Kansas State and Oklahoma are a fight. Oklahoma State, West Virginia, you you better beat Maryland. If you don't, um, you know, people are going to start to just, Tom Herman won't be in trouble after year two uh, unless some of this off-the-field stuff starts to get worse and Mm -hmm. worse. But this is one of those games that 
will start to just gnaw at the Texas faithful. I'm telling you, this is a bigger game than you might think, and it's the pressure is on Texas and Tom Herman to respond after last week, last year's beatdown. All right, Chris, let's get into the big boy games here. Uh, and, again, no disrespect to any other teams, but we're talking about number six Washington, number nine Auburn, the Chick-fil-A kickoff at Mercedes-Benz Stadium where the roof is going to open and close and they got that whole thing figured out. And because it's a Saturday, Chick-fil-A is going to be open, so everyone's going to be happy there in the stadium. But tell me why this game has college football playoff implications. Well, first of all, you say everybody's got that figured out. I don't know if Auburn, Auburn's got that stadium figured out. I mean, they lose the bowl game to Central Florida. They lose to Georgia. I mean, <laughs> they've lost their last three games in that stadium, so I'm not quite sure how excited they are to be there. I'm just kidding. They, they are going to be excited. This Auburn team, to me, is very talented. I think Jared Stidham is uh, one of the top quarterbacks in the country this year. Chris. He is. I, I think he is. And, and he would get my, you know, we talk about the, the Heisman vote right now and, and Bryce Love before. I, I think Stidham should absolutely be up there in terms of preseason favorites. He's a talented guy. Uh, he is the most talented guy of the quarterbacks in the SEC. Um, he's the most talented going into the season, and I'm very excited to see what he can do this year. Um I think this is a great defense, a great defensive line, and I think that's going to be where the matchup is going to be most fun to watch uh, on film is to see how Washington's offensive line matches up against Auburn's defensive line. That's a real key. For Auburn, it's about the offensive line. They're replacing so many guys in their running game. That's the question mark I have for them. Um, I do think that I look at Washington, and I know what I'm going to get with Washington. I know that they're well-coached, they're physical. I, Jake Browning took a step back last year. Miles Gaskin's a really good back. Uh, they lose some a lot of guys off that, that Washington team. Auburn's the more talented team. Mm-hmm. If, Auburn, if both teams play their best game, Auburn wins this game by 10, maybe 14 points. They're that much better. Wow. However, Washington is a superior coach team. And I don't ever know what I'm going to get out of a Gus Malzahn. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, this this guy, I mean, even you can take the LSU game last year, dominated LSU up 24 nothing, and completely, completely get outcoached and like they completely lost their mind and, and lost the game. That was one game in which you saw the good Gus, bad Gus. And we see that all the time with the guy. That's why it's so frustrating because Auburn has not had any consistency. They've been really good. They go out. They can beat Alabama. They can beat Georgia. They come back and just get their butt whipped by the same team. It's just woefully inconsistent. So what are you going to get? I I would has, be hesitant to say Auburn's going to blow Washington out because I don't know what Auburn team is going to show up. And I think Washington is going to be the more consistent team, the physical team. So I don't know. I still would say Auburn because they are the more talented. But again, I think I've made my case for this is why this game is going to be a lot of fun. And if Washington wins it, they're in good position. Uh, If they can take care of business, big if, in the Pac-12, the Pac-12 doesn't have a dominant team, but there's a lot of good teams. If they can run the table, certainly if they're unbeaten, but even with a one-loss team beating Auburn, and Auburn goes on to have the type of the year that I think they have, then Washington is in a great shape to get into the playoffs. But you lose this game, and then you lose a game or two in the Pac-12, 
then you're done mm-hmm. because you know that then even if you win the Pac-12, the Pac-12 is going to be left out again because this is a marquee win that Washington has to have. Whereas Auburn has got a number of tough teams on their schedule, which makes it difficult to have a good enough record to make the playoffs. But if they can beat Georgia, if they can beat Alabama, and they can get to the SEC title, the, this game will be long forgotten by season's end. Heck, a two-loss Auburn team last year yes. was just on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you know, you know, uh, certainly a one loss hurts Auburn. Um, a, a loss here, Washington, maybe, maybe uh, hurts them even more. Speaking of a team that needs that marquee win, Saturday night, Notre Dame hosting Michigan under the lights at Notre Dame Stadium, and the Irish are going to go with Brandon Wimbush at quarterback against Shea Patterson and the Michigan Wolverines. This is, to me, and we just talked about one of them, Auburn Washington. This this game, though, may mean as much as any game I of the weekend in terms of setting the tone for the season. I, I could see Washington and Auburn having good years, whoever loses the game. I'm, I'm concerned about the loser of this game for this year. I think Notre Dame is, is a good team. I think Brian's done a good job. I think that Notre Dame job is tougher than people might know. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that he's been there longer. He, listen, for goodness sake, he has gotten a team to a BCS championship game. Um, not everybody's happy with them, but but I think Notre Dame will have a good season. For Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, it, it, it's time now. I mean, this is a great defense that they have. Um, they found a quarterback, or they think they have, that can make a difference for them. He's Can clearly the most talented quarterback that Harbaugh's had is the most, Michigan, ar- most arm talent, yeah. but he this is where Jim's skill as a coach will come to the forefront because this is not the quarterback that Jim Harbaugh normally has. He's not a guy that you put under center and you know, this is you're gonna have to modify things. My my point is is while Brian Kelly's been at Notre Dame longer, Jim Harbaugh's had no success at Michigan, really. And in his fourth year, if he drops this game, what does it mean for him? I mean, then you go in, I still think they'll have a good year, but you still got Wisconsin, you still got to go to Michigan State, you still got Penn State, and you got Ohio State at the end of the year. You lose this game, this is going to be a disappointing year because they're going to end up with three losses, maybe four. And that's not what they expect in the fourth year of Jim Harbaugh. So as much pressure as there is on both coaches, I think it's more on Jim Harbaugh. And getting off to a good start, look, they win this game, they'll end up being a 6-0 and going into Wisconsin, I believe. So then you build up some momentum, and then you're into conference play, and perhaps you've at that point beaten Nebraska, Northwestern, and Maryland. Then you're off and running. Then we can start talking about, hey, what type of Michigan team is is it? And then, but I, I just think a loss here nationally um, against a team that is kind of an old rival that's good to get back on their schedule would be really a tough way, tough, tough way for the Michigan faithful and Jim Harbaugh to start the season. Let's move on to Sunday, Chris. Two more games to get into, uh, well, one on Sunday and one on Monday. Miami-LSU is a real interesting game on Sunday, and it's, look, it's the only game in town, right? There's no NFL this Sunday. It's Labor Day weekend. you got a primetime game on national television on ABC, Miami and LSU. Miami has hopes of winning the ACC this year, while LSU has hopes of getting to the SEC title game. And I think that LSU can get there. I, I also believe that this is... Uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to put the pressure on right away, but it, it 
it's a make or break year for it at, at Orgeron. Yeah, it, it's it's tough uh, for Ed, and it's tough for Joe Oliva, the athletic director who hired him. Uh, I think that um, anything short of an impressive season, um, which I think it's going to be difficult. Their schedule is difficult. Eight and four might be a really good year for LSU this year, and uh, there'll be some people that'll be disappointed with that. I, I look at this game and. You know, I think Miami is a little overrated relative to where they're rated. I, I don't see them as a top 10 team. Now, listen, I, I think they are the team to beat in the Coastal, no doubt. But I just I think that they're a far, far behind Clemson. And I, I, I don't I don't know what they're going to do offensively. I'm not thrilled with Malik Rozier. I don't know where the points are going to come from. I think they've got some talent on defense. They yeah. lose some key guys. But I like their linebackers. I like their secondary. LSU, love their defense, love the talent there. I think they're very good secondary as well. They're not as deep on the defensive line, but they're good. Like their linebackers, particularly Devon Devon White, outstanding. But what about LSU's offense? I mean, are we going to see 20 points scored here? I mean, not total, but the the winner have 20 points in this game? I don't know. It's going to be fun to watch. LSU, for the first time in a long time, does not have a bell call running back. They're having some problems with receivers in camp catching the football. Uh, Joe Burrow is going to be the starting quarterback. How much of an impact? A lot of unknowns in this game. Uh, I think that this is a big game for both, but I think Miami still is competitive and wins in the Coastal um, and is in good shape regardless. But I think this is a big, even a bigger game for LSU. LSU loses this. This is going to have a hard time for them to even find a way to win eight games this year. And if this ends up being a kind of a, a seven and you know five type of season, that's where I think it could, could really get dangerous for Ed this year. And finally, Chris, on Monday, it's Virginia Tech against Florida State. And to me, the feel-good story so far at the beginning of the college football season, DeAndre Francois will step back onto the football field as the starting quarterback for the Florida State Seminoles, Seminoles a year removed from that horrific leg injury. Yeah, they've got a good young, you know, freshman in James Blackman. He's not ready. He's a very talented guy. DeAndre's had the injury issues, had a couple of off the field situations, but he's earned the job. He's going to start. And and while we've seen a lot of young guys start, he's going to get his shot. And I'm very curious to see, um, this is going to be a different look. Um, Willie Taggart wants to run a little more up tempo. I, I don't think in terms of the balance in the on-field coaching that they will be as good as they were under Jimbo Fisher. Last year was a disastrous year, but Mm -hmm. most of the time what you saw is really good balance and physicality out of Florida State. I think with Willie, he's more recruiter, is a little bit more up-tempo. What is this going to do for their defense? So a little bit of an unknown. Obviously, we've gone a long time with, you know, with the whole Bobby Bowden and the transition to Jimbo. It's just, we just don't... (laughs) Florida State is just not a place that we we see changes. It's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, so I'm very curious to see how this plays out. And on the other side, Virginia Tech, I'm very curious to see what Justin can get out of this offense this year. Justin Fuente is a really good coach. Um, I think Bud Foster is one of the more, you know, one of the more impressive defensive coordinators year in and year out. And to have a game this big in a conference game, uh, in the early part of the season, uh, this is an awful lot of fun. And as you mentioned, it's kind of as the, uh, the standalone game that ends the, the big weekend of uh, college football on Labor Day weekend. 
Hey, the folks at LandryFootball.com want you to join their family this football season. Get in on all the inside information and analysis on the college and pro game, from film room breakdowns to all the latest inside information, recruiting, draft, coaching news, all this and more. And don't forget, each Tuesday and Thursday, catch the Landry Football Podcast. And each Wednesday, you listen to new editions of this Rush the Field College Football Podcast. Both of them are absolute must-listens. Check out LandryFootball.com today for their best season membership package ever for less than a magazine subscription you get access to the insights of veteran coach and scout chris landry tell them where you heard this to receive their best membership package available chris what will readers find on landryfootball.com this week well we're excited because we've got 30 count them 30 uh film room breakdown matchups some uh number of the games that we've talked well all the games that we've talked about plus many more we break down the teams and break down the game itself, kind of go into how we think the game may play out, but uh, a complete breakdown of each of the two teams going into the season, key players to watch, um, so on and so forth. So it's about uh, 3,000 words per per preview, so very in-depth. And so we take you inside the film room, so that's what you get, all the latest in our notebooks every day, what's going on. You can follow me on Twitter, at LandryFootball. As the games are going on, we'll be uh, certainly uh, tweeting about it uh, to keep you updated, uh, again, it's uh, for less than a magazine subscription. It's like having an access to your own coaching and scouting department. Oh, we absolutely love it. And don't forget, in addition to LandryFootball.com, subscribe to this podcast. Rush the field with me, Scott Seidenberg, on Twitter, at Scott's on Air, and veteran coach and scout Chris Landry on Twitter, at LandryFootball. Rush the field can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Enjoy week one, first Saturday of college football, Chris. Hey, I, well, I can't wait. You do the same. It's going to be a blast. This is an In the Trenches with Ian Beckles. Quick Fix on Radio Influence. When I was injured in the preseason, I didn't play the first six weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. So in training camp and the first six weeks of the season, I didn't participate at all. You know how much better I got as a football player? You know why? I became a coach. And I sat back and I watched how coaches coach mm-hmm. and how the little things are coaching you are important. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I sat back and I realized that I got to learn the system kind of as a coach. And, you know, a lot of people uh, might be able to figure things out on paper, but when you put them on the field, sometimes things get real fast. Right. It seemed like going into it as a coach, it slowed the game down for me. Yeah. The most important thing for any athlete in any single sport and listen is to slow the sport down. Mm-hmm. I don't care what sport it is. If you're a, if you're a hitter in baseball, that 95, you know, mile right. an hour fastball, you got to slow it down yeah. in, in, right. in your mind. You know, when this guy's coming from a three tech and going to one technique, if you know it's coming, you're slowing it down. Mm-hmm. So it's the mental part of it was was huge. I don't know if this time off isn't going to do Jameis well. I think it's going to do him well. I really do. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.